This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex. Prevenex is where I get all of my multivitamins, supplements, and protein powder. Today, I want to tell you about their Joint Health Plus, which supports comfort and flexibility in your joints. I take this product every single day. It is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, joint stiffness, and improve flexibility in just seven to 10 days. My other favorite product that we use is the Neurofi Plus protein powder. I sometimes just shake it up with water if I'm on the go. And every day I put it in smoothies that my kids all drink and pack that with all kinds of fruits and vegetables as well. You all can save 15% when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That's Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Today on the podcast, you're listening to episode 309, and I'm talking with Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez. She's an NCAA and professional sports dietitian, competitive runner, and entrepreneur. Lindsay is also a former Division I athlete herself. She was a performance dietitian for Special Operations and U.S. Military. And she is helping athletes all over the world have a better relationship with food while fueling for peak performances. Lindsay also has her own podcast called Female Athlete Nutrition. Make sure you go check that out as well. A lot of good information in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it and learn as much as I did. If you do enjoy this show or any of the shows in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network, Head over and leave us a quick rating interview. That is super helpful in new listeners finding us, and I truly appreciate it so much. If you are a parent or anybody helping raise kids, make sure you check out my parenting podcast. It's pretty new. I launched it in the fall, and it's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? All right, friends. Enjoy my conversation with Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez on the show, sports dietitian. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thanks so much, Lindsay. I love talking to other Lindsays. It's always so funny. (laughs) So, okay. I want to get into your story and introduce you to the listeners here. Uh, You are a sports dietitian. Can you share a little bit about your history with nutrition and how you got into this field? Absolutely. You know, I think starting in high school, I just had I was an athlete, so I had an interest in nutrition from being an athlete. Um, Specifically, I was a gymnast, so I did have some, like, particular things. Like, I would eat the same exact thing before every time I competed in gymnastics. And then I went on to college, and I really didn't know what to study, but I just cared about sports. My mom kind of told me, like, hey, you're you're pretty good at your diet. That's kind of how she phrased it at the time. She said, really good at your diet. Like maybe you can teach other people how to do that. And, you know, I wasn't putting two and two together at the time of as to what that could mean, but I was just like, sure, I'll study nutrition. And the truth was I ended up competing D1 track and field in college. And 
studying nutrition. I just, I loved how the two went hand in hand, how I was fueling and how that could affect my performance. Of course, I ran into my own struggles because as my mom did highlight in high school, mm-hmm. um, I, I was very good at my quote unquote diet, meaning I had developed some rather like strict tendencies. I was calorie counting by age 15 and this was before the age of um, smartphones and fitness and nutrition trackers. So like, it's weird how I even picked this stuff up, but, um, I was, I was doing that type of stuff. And then in college, um, for the most part, since I was studying nutrition, I was fueling well for my sport until I got injured. Um, basically junior and senior year, I really struggled with chronic injuries and I was not able to train practice or compete at the level that I wanted to. And Lindsay, what happened is happens to a lot of athletes is I gained a little bit of weight, mm. you know, and, and it was okay. Like it was nothing, you know, in hindsight now I'm like, it, that's okay. But at that time it was really difficult for me. It was difficult because I felt like my identity as like the healthy or the fit or, you know, just that athlete. I felt like I was losing that. I also felt like, hey, I'm studying nutrition. Like mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have this under control. And and I couldn't change my body. I couldn't stop my body from changing it. It was changing as I wasn't practicing and training at the level that I wanted to. And it I really struggled with that. I you know, in the short term, I tried everything I could with, you know, reducing my food, counting my calories, monitoring my grams of fat or whatever it might have be. And and in the end of the day, like it didn't it didn't stop my body from changing. It was a process that I had to go through. And and that was really upsetting at that time. It really was um, rather, I would say, more devastating or embarrassing. I felt like a fraud in in, in many ways because I couldn't like control my body. Um, fortunately, I did use this time and, and I did graduate. I mean, I guess there's not like a good end to that story because I just finished my senior year of college, didn't finish with the season I wanted to, but, um, you know, moved on with life. I went on to study sports nutrition as a master's student at Florida State University. And then I really started started embracing kind of a different approach to nutrition, a little bit more of the intuitive eating, um, mindful eating, body acceptance, more of that like health at every size movement. And I think that was so important for me personally, also as a dietitian. Um, and then came the time in my life though where I was healed. I was physically strong enough and that like competitive bug came back and I was like, I want to start, you know, training for marathons and half marathons and I want to push my body again. And so I've been able to do that in my adult life and blend, okay, how can you be a competitive athlete and use performance nutrition to achieve like peak performance while also still respecting, you know, more of that intuitive eating approach as well. So really blending all of that together. That's a lot, but that's a bit of my story. <laughs> that's it. That's your story. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I was thinking about when you were sharing your story, I listened to your podcast that was for parents about, um, talking to your student or your, your kids who are athletes about, um, eating disorders and fueling for performance and things like that. Um, I think that's such an important, important message to get out early. Like when 
parents mm-hmm. have kids that are five, six. Uh, my sister had a pretty significant eating disorder in high school. And, you know, it's looking back, we oftentimes think of things that my mom might have said. And it's it sounds so... It hurts to say that because you never want to say your parents did something wrong because your parents love you so much. And like in that moment, she probably didn't realize what she was doing. Um, But as her sister and seeing how that transpired, I have thought so much of that even before I had my own kids, like how important it is, um, how I speak about my body, how I talk about food and how I speak to my kids about their body. So, um, I'm so glad that that is, is part of your work. Um, the other, and we'll get into that, but the other thing I was thinking about when you mentioned your mom saying, um, you're good at your diet, maybe consider going into that field. Um, I also majored in dietetics and in college. Do you feel like a lot of people do choose majoring in dietetics and pursuing that career at the beginning because they might have a little bit of an obsession there? I do. And this is, this is just observation and yeah, personal totally, opinion, right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Not everybody. I have no clue. Yeah. I have no clue what the statistics are on that. Um, but you know, one, if we're, if we're picking a major at that time in our life, it has to be something that we've already, you know, shown some level of interest in. But then you do have to question yourself, like, well, where is that interest stemming from? And so I do think that a lot of people study nutrition because they're researching it online and they're like getting, they're like trying to figure out, you know, what's the healthiest thing to eat or how do I lose belly fat or they're, they're starting to research it already. And that's why they want to study it more. And a little bit of that, um, um, it, it could just be inquisitiveness, but it's like, well, why is a 17-year-old Googling how to lose belly fat? Yeah, yeah. Right? Is, is there an underlying concern there? Potentially. We, we can't speak for everybody. And, you know, I do I, – I'll be the first to admit I did not have any diagnosable um, eating disorder and – or if, if I did, I would have been in complete denial of it at the time anyways – Um, And from the outside, I think I have a story that a lot of athletes have, which is that from the outside, Mm -hmm. I was somebody who's really dedicated to my sport and to my, you know, health. And so I was eating in a way that was almost like admirable, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it, for a long time too, maybe wasn't too much of a problem until I couldn't control it anymore. You know, like I don't I don't think it's healthy for 15 year olds to be counting calories, which is what I was doing at that time. But it it didn't really develop into something that hurt me until your senior year of college. And also, Lindsay, it can hurt people in so many different ways. Um, It can hurt people physically. For me, it really hurt me mentally and it hurt my confidence and it hurt my self-esteem. And that's, you know, it's interesting how these things, I think we always think that eating disorders and disordered eating are something so physical, um, but they're very, very mental. And the toll they take on on us is very mental too. So I totally strayed from the origin of that question there. No, 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 no. (laughs) It is interesting. And I'll also say, do talk to a lot of clients who have worked with dietitians in the past and, 
you know, with any field, you're, you're going to have your good doctors, your bad doctors, mm-hmm. your good therapists, your bad therapists. And, you know, it's the same with, with nutrition and dietetics. I've worked with clients who are susceptible to disordered eating and eating disorders and they go see a dietitian and that dietitian is having them, you know, count their calories or track their macros or that dietitian is, you know, expressing some things about food that even the, the client is like, wait a second, this, yeah. this isn't what I should be following. And so I, I definitely think there is a lot of that in our, in our own field, a little bit of like hypocrisy within the field of dietitians. Yeah, I want to talk about the intuitive eating thing. You talk a lot about this whole intuitive eating thing plus fueling for performance. Because if you really just ate intuitively all the time, maybe you would just eat cereal all day and you can't do that. So talk about intuitive eating paired with fueling for performance. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what intuitive eating even is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, and, and we could probably talk like an entire episode on that alone, um, because there's, there's a lot to it, but it's not as simple, just eat whatever you want or like you're allowed to like eat 20 donuts in a day. I mean, you can, you have permission to eat 20 donuts in a day, but intuitive eating is also figuring out if that's right for your body or not and how that feels to you. And if that allows you to live, you know, life in the healthiest, happiest version of yourself. And so for athletes, the the answer most likely is that 20 donuts in a day probably won't do that because then maybe you're not going to reach your performance goals. And that's really important to you. So, you know, there's intuitive eating method, which is a a full method, right? It's not just a concept. It is actually a method. Um, It's a 10 step approach. There's many, many books written on it. It's created by dietitians. And the 10th principle is using gentle nutrition. That's how the original intuitive eating guidebooks call it, gentle nutrition. And what that means is, hey, just because we're eating intuitively doesn't mean that there's benefits to having certain vitamins and minerals and having protein in our diet. Like we still need to address our medical and, and health concerns too, but just doing that kind of, you know, gently. It's not I'm going, I can only eat this way because of my performance goals, or I can only eat this way because of my medical goals. It's, it's eating intuitively, but paying a good regard to Mm. what are some of our personal needs. And so I think how I blend that with nutrition is like that 10th principle. What is gentle nutrition? That's gentle sports nutrition for athletes. So yeah, you can have donuts, but it's not going to be the best thing, you know, the morning of a race or competition, right? So if that's really what you crave and really what you want, how can you have that afterwards? And how can you incorporate that into your day-to-day or your training days or your training weeks so that it actually feels good for your body? Um, And then there's, you know, that gentle nutrition and we're just pushing that in the sports nutrition aspect is knowing like, all right, so the day of a race, like this is the time when it is important for me to get you know, X amount of carbs in. This is the time when it is important for me to listen to the time on the clock because, you know, I don't want to be running to the bathroom in the middle of my race or competition. So there's, you know, using some of those guidelines, sports nutrition guidelines to help you make the best decision for your body. What do you think about young athletes like in high school uh, talking with a sports dietitian? And the reason I ask 
is because you kind of want your kids to be and feel as carefree as possible with this kind of stuff for as long as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think for some athletes, it's probably really important to, to get ahead of the game. Yeah. I think it's helpful in high school. Um, and I do have some conversations with people in middle school if needed, but, um, it all depends on, on what are we doing? Like even my high school athletes or my middle school athletes, I don't need them tracking their food. I, you know, I just need to have a conversation about food. Yeah. You know, and, and teaching them about food. Unfortunately, we don't do that in school, which is probably where it should be done. Yeah. Um, you know, you might get one health class in 10th grade talking about, you know, my plate or something, and that might not be enough. So I do think that if a high schooler wants to meet with a sports dietitian, I highly recommend it because, um, I think it can absolutely help them understand their fueling needs. It will help them understand the difference, you know, on, Hey, it's okay to be a kid and have McDonald's from time to time, but this is why we're not going to choose McDonald's again on competition day, or we're going to wait until after or, and, and just figuring out what that looks like and helping them understand food, I think is actually better done at a younger age than it is later. It's crazy, Lindsay. Um, I work with clients of all different ages, like some, I guess 14 is kind of my youngest currently, but I do work with a lot of high school and college athletes, but I also work with many women in their twenties, their thirties, their forties, even their fifties. And what's really interesting is I'm teaching the same thing to the 50 year old as I am to the 14 year old because the 50 year old never learned it, Mm. you know? So I still have to teach the 50 year old about what are carbs doing for your body? And, you know, what is, what's the real nutritional facts of white bread versus wheat bread and when or why might you choose one versus the other and, and just empower them with that choice as well. And I'm teaching the same thing to the 50 year old as I am to the 14 year old. So I would say that, you know, if, if you can trust in a sports dietitian just to teach your high schooler nutrition, then I think there's huge value in that because it's going to help their performance as an athlete. But these are like life skills. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) just hearing you talk about this is kind of making me like frustrated because I know that my kids aren't learning about nutrition in school and, you know, they're young, second grade, kindergarten. But, um, you know, what I I teach my kids is that food is fuel for their body. And Mm -hmm. if they put good fuel in their body, their body will work better. Um, Mm -hmm. I keep it super basic. But the fact that a lot of kids probably aren't even hearing that at home, it makes me sad to think that they're not getting that understanding at school either. Yeah. So, yeah, that's frustrating. It, it definitely is. And, you know, America is so interesting for many, many reasons, but it's like (laughs) (laughs) we, you know, I think you're very in tune both personally with the story of your sister and, you know, you studying nutrition and being in the sports world too. Like we, you and I are very in tune to eating disorders and disordered eating, but like then the whole rest of the country is like, oh, we're in this quote unquote air quotes here for those who can't see us obesity epidemic. Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're fighting obesity and it's, we're just so split between like, how do we encourage all food is good versus like Mm -hmm. also changing the landscape of America. So we're not so reliant on fast food all the time. Yeah. And 
And it's really difficult. And that's, you know, that's why I do think that the sooner you can get a a child or a teen or an athlete to just understand food, they're going to be empowered knowing and understanding why McDonald's is okay sometimes, but why it might not be the best decision all the time. Yeah. And and that's what we need to get ahead of the curve on, you know, less of this good food, bad food, um, and less of the split between like, you know, people who are sensitive to disordered eating who have to take this all food is good approach. And then people who are sensitive to weight concerns who have to like feel this pressure to really like limit or change their diet. And like, we, we should all be on the same page. So the sooner we can get this education out, the better. All right. So as a parent myself, and I'm sure so many people listening are curious, what are some suggestions you would make for how we initially start the conversation? But there's a second part to that is, as our kids are getting older, and we might notice, um, eating disorder tendencies or things like that in their behavior. Like, what do we say? What do we not say? Mm, This is a good one. And, you know, I first want to disclose that I'm not a parent myself, Um, hopefully someday, but not yet. And so a lot of this is coming from, of course, just my professional experience, my personal experience as a once was child athlete. And then from my clients, since I work with a lot of them, I work closely with their parents too. Um, you know, it is, it's wise as a parent to just encourage, you know, um, you know, just encourage certain foods, right? If you want to encourage eating fruits and vegetables, go for it. That's not a bad thing to encourage that. Um, if you want to encourage, I think just eating habits of sitting down at the table, having family dinners or, you know, making sure that they get breakfast before leaving for school for the day. So encouraging certain behaviors and, and saying certain things too, like it's important to eat breakfast. So you have energy for your school day, right? Make sure you don't skip lunch. I don't want you to show up tired at soccer practice, you know, little things like that, or, or saying, you know, Hey, make sure that you, you know, eat a piece of fruit before your soccer game. You need, you know, those extra carbs and those fresh fruits to energize you. Those are just kind of like super basic surface level things, but encourage food. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. We want to encourage food, not discourage food, because mm-hmm. the the not to say thing would be um, the the don't eat that. Ugh. I don't. Yeah, I I don't. I think when we tell people what not to eat, I think that's where we really go wrong. Even if it, let's just go with the McDonald's example once again. You know. Let's say that you're noticing that your child, uh, maybe they're teens, so they're kind of more on their own now. And maybe after school every day, they're hitting up McDonald's with their friends. And this is something that you're starting to get a little concerned about. You could just as a parent say, you know, oh, like, how's that going for you? Is it social? You guys are always doing that. What if you tried some other places too? You know, there's this great sandwich shop down the road. Whatever it might be, just encourage food and other options. We always want to give options as opposed to just saying, don't eat that. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this podcast episode. Lily Trotters is my go-to place for compression socks. They have been sponsoring this podcast for over four years now, my longest running sponsor. I'm so grateful to be partnered with them. Lily Trotters are strong enough for a marathon, comfortable enough to wear for hours, pretty enough to wear almost anywhere, and thin enough to fit into all of your favorite shoes. They're cute. They're comfortable. 
they're functional, and they're a great gift idea as well for any runner in your life. Go to lilytrotters.com, use the code ANOTHER, and you can get 25% off your order. That's lilytrotters.com. All right, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Lindsay Elizabeth. I had a guest on my parenting podcast, Katie Crenshaw. I think she was episode three, and we talked about body neutrality a lot in that episode. And one of the tips she gave was like, I always try to say like, what can I add rather than what can I take away, Mm -hmm. which was my biggest takeaway from that episode. And that's a lot of of what I'm hearing from you now. And I love that so much. Yeah. And it, you know, it is really simple to do and to make that switch. It just might not be how you grew up and it might not be how you were trained to think. So many of us are kind of trapped in, you know, what we call diet culture of don't eat this, don't eat that, or that's bad for you. But if you can make the switch mentally to think about, well, what can I eat and what should I choose and what should I encourage more often? Um, it's, that's just a, it's a much more positive environment. It's a much more uplifting environment. It makes food a lot more fun too. Um, and I think this is another thing I would encourage parents to do with their, with their children is find ways to make food as, as fun as possible or as exciting as possible. So if your child is maybe not wanting to participate in family dinners, like how can you make that more fun? Maybe with a, a family pizza night or having them choose the meal or something like that, just, um, making sure that, Maybe as you're cooking dinner, they can pick what TV show they want on in the background to be playing, you know, just making it more fun and and making it a way to um, encourage that that this whole eating thing is a positive experience for them. I am struggling to get my kids to eat vegetables, man. We (laughs) we make smoothies every day, which is like my saving grace because we pack them up with like kale and spinach and all the frozen fruit. It's so good. And I they all drink it, which is amazing. I'm like, that is, we're getting one really good nutrient dense packed smoothie a day. Um, it's so hilarious too. My two year old just chugs it and you know, like (laughs) he would never just eat a handful of spinach, you know? No, but man at dinner time, we, and I, I have, you know, I have had, a a plant-based dietitian on, on why is everyone yelling? And I have like talked to her about this and we, you know, I have tried to educate myself and I am struggling to get my little kids to eat vegetables. So oftentimes, honestly, we have our own like fancy meals, you know, like exotic meals. Like, so you would call them like, that's what a kid would see it as. And my kids are eating like cheese quesadillas, macaroni, peanut butter sandwiches. I always try to chop chop up like carrots and have ranch there, just corn. But like it's really hard to get your little, little kids to um, explore food unless they are just naturally that kind of kid. Yeah. And, you know, I think taking some of that pressure off of you, though, is important because, you know, taste preferences change over time. I didn't like Brussels sprouts when I was a kid. Yeah, who does, right? (laughs) But they're so good now. They're so good now. So our taste preferences do change. And, you know, it it's not the end of the world if your little kid doesn't love vegetables. We do want to get some fruits and veggies into their diets. But you're you're doing that. You found a way with the smoothies, which is wonderful. It's only once a it's, day, but... That, but that's great. And if, if they'll eat carrots as long as they're dipped in ranch, that's great. Because they're still... Here's the thing. They're still getting the benefit of the carrot 
even if it's dipped in ranch, right? And again, talking about how can we encourage food, yeah. I think that's that's okay. They they don't need as much fiber as adults need anyways. Mm-hmm. That's another thing, right? Their needs are different. They are growing. They need more carbs than many of us adults need. They need more fats, no matter if it's coming from avocado or Velveeta cheese. It doesn't matter. They need more fats because they're growing children. So I think um, as parents, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like make sure our kids are getting all these fruits and veggies but you know just make sure that they are getting fruits and veggies it doesn't have to be the most colorful plates in the world as long as they're getting a couple servings of fruits and veggies every day like you know a little bit of vegetables at lunch and dinner and a little bit of fruit at snack and breakfast you're doing great. You're doing a great job. So you can just kind of take a little bit of that pressure (laughs) off of yourself, Lindsay. Their needs are different than adults. Yeah, it's hard too because you do look at their plates and like I'm like, I'm really riding on that smoothie and, you know, but like you do look at their plates and see what they actually eat and you're like, oh, this does not look so good. But I appreciate that because I think that we see what other people are sharing. Like I I love the people that share their perfect little lunch boxes that they send their kids to school with that has like the protein, the vegetable, the fruit, like the perfect snack. And I'm like, my lunches that I send my kids to school with do not look like that. It's there are lots of mornings where I'm just like, what do we have left in the pantry that they'll actually eat? Because part of it too is like, I don't want to send them with something that is going to get wasted. Like if I send them with a vegetable just to prove to their teachers, I'm sending them with a vegetable, then it doesn't get eaten. Like I don't want to waste food, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is interesting too, where, you know, nutrition is an ever growing field. It's a new science. It's always developing. And then with, things like social media and Pinterest and Instagram, like where you can see what other people are packing their kids for lunch and see how other people are eating. Um, You know, when I was a kid, like I don't, I remember, I actually have this memory. It's just coming to me right now. I remember one of my girlfriends in elementary school would bring a salad to lunch every day. And I thought that was the weirdest thing Mm. because as kids, like she was one of the only kids that did that. Um, and she had, she had bean sprouts on her salad. That's a legit salad. Yeah. And I had never heard of these things before. And I don't think that I, I ever tried a bean sprout for myself until like my mid (laughs) (laughs) twenties. So, and I see, I have some clients, I have some high school clients that are eating these like you know, they're eating quinoa and they're eating uh-huh. kale chips and it's impressive. And I'm like, wow, when I was a kid, I ate Pop-Tarts, uh-huh. you know, and tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches. Uh-huh. Like, so it's interesting the, um, just how much nutrition has changed over time and the pressures that kids might be feeling to eat healthier or to eat cleaner. Um, and it's just so different from what things were like even just 10 or 20 years ago. And then you as a parent are feeling that different pressure too. When like 20 years ago, like a PB and J sandwich was lunch. Yeah. You know, so it, there's good and bad to this. Sure. You know, the for sure. good is we are getting more nutrients. We are getting more whole grains and fruits and veggies. And then the bad is of course what we were touching on before is 
are are we becoming too obsessed with mm-hmm. healthy eating or clean eating? And could that even be hurtful at a young age when maybe we do just need some Velveeta cheese? Yeah, that's so good. Well, let's talk about your um, like what athletes you're working with now. I want to hear a little bit, though. I know you transitioned from a different world of nutrition in your career. So talk about where you were to where you are now. Okay. So I, you know, I was, I've always been a sports dietitian and I worked with athletes at collegiate universities at the University of Georgia, at Florida State University. Even now I work at the University of Texas, San Antonio, just as a contracting part-time sports dietitian with their athletes. Um, But yeah, in 20, uh, 2015, I took a little bit of a career leap and I worked as the tactical performance dietitian for Air Force Special Operations. So it was still very much um, performance nutrition, just with a different type of athlete, you know, with um, special operations. And it was an all-male environment too. Um, So I was doing a lot of nutrition for deployments, for career longevity, for um, combat wounds and healing. Wow. And yeah, and it was um, it was a great job. It was very challenging. It was very important as well, I felt. So it was really, really rewarding. Um, the main reason that I left that job was just a life change. Um, I got married and moved following my husband. And um, so then I, I had to think to myself, I'll, I'll, I'll also, sorry for the stutter, but also um, I really felt like that was such a a highlight in my career. It was a weird place where I was like, oh, I hit my dream job. So how do I go up from here? Yeah. (laughs) And the only way for me to go up was if it was something that was my own. Mm. So I said, okay, I'm going to start my own business. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've, I've always had it in me. In many ways, my job with the Air Force was my own thing because I was the only dietitian. I, I had all the, you know, physicians and, um, commanders like look to me. So I, I got to kind of dictate what the nutrition plan was for all the, the warriors per se. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this in my own vision, do this for, for myself. And so I had to do some good, like soul searching on, who I really wanted to help. And I mean, it. I guess the soul searching didn't take too long because here I was working in this all-male population uh, for many, many years. And I knew that my heart was just itching to get back to girls and women and especially those struggling with disordered eating because that's so much of my story. And it's, it's every, I just see it around me left and right. I just see it everywhere. And so I think as much as I enjoyed the position with the air force and that all male elite population, I was also just really ready to like utilize what I knew in my heart, what I was meant to do. Um, and I think I always had a little bit of guilt, you know, working with the Air Force that I wasn't helping with mm-hmm. that stuff that mm-hmm. I saw. And I, I mean, I would have some of my some of the guys that I worked with and I would see their daughters or their wives, you know, struggling. And I was like, oh, man, that's what I need to be doing. Or some of their daughters like, you know, saying that, oh, my daughter's on the high school cross country team or something. And I was like, that's really what I want to be doing, you know. So that that's why I started my own business, helping female athletes overcome 
disordered eating and using food as fuel to perform at their highest level. It just, it, it was quite the shift, um, in population, but it's, it's what my heart was meant to do, I think. So do you only work with athletes who are overcoming disordered eating? Um, no, I, I work with the other side, right? Once you overcome it now, you know, use food as fuel to perform at your highest level. So I definitely work with all different female athletes and I just do see that a lot of female athletes struggle with disordered eating, whether they know it or not. Yeah. So I do have uh, some clients come to me saying, well, I, you know, I don't have an eating disorder. I say, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's no label. There, we don't have to label. We don't have to diagnose anything. But I know exactly, you know, the steps that you need to get where you really want to be. So it doesn't matter what you want to call it per se, but if you're having nutrition struggles – um, anywhere on this spectrum, you know, as a female athlete, these nutrition struggles can be addressed. How do you approach these conversations? I imagine it's challenging to navigate. Yeah, they are. Um, and, and everybody's different. I had a client just over the summer and she was in high school. So her parents uh, were on the phone as well when I met with them and they didn't know what was going on. Even even this young girl, she, she couldn't describe to me what was happening. She had no clue. I even challenged her saying, are you, you know, are you scared of eating certain foods? And she said, no. Mm. And then I said, okay, so, you know, your mom thinks you need to eat more, you know, then why is there a reason you won't? And she literally couldn't answer. So some of these conversations are really difficult, but um, fortunately in, in this case, you know, we did start working together and just giving ourselves that time to figure it out and figure out, you know, what those, what those buttons for her were that were being pressed and limiting her from moving forward with fueling the way that she needed to, to be healthier and happier. Um, we gave ourselves that time and that space and we were able to overcome it. But yeah, these conversations are tricky. Some people come into their conversations with me very aware mm -hmm. of what they're doing, mm -hmm. very educated, also sometimes very aware of what they should be doing instead. You know, I, right. athletes are, are really in tune with their bodies. Athletes are really smart. I also, Lindsay, I have not only a lot of athletes, but I do work with a lot of other health professionals. Um, I've worked with nurses, physicians, physical therapists. I've had other dietitians as clients of mine uh, because there is very often this disconnect between knowing what we should be doing and actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see my role is, um, is to really help guide and coach people in, in the doing, in putting all their knowledge into action and implementing it in their life. Do you find that the younger athletes are scared to talk to their parents about their eating disorder? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think most of them are. It's a combination of, um, well, it's just an uncomfortable conversation. It's a little bit of fear of judgment. It's also a fear of change once you do talk to your parents about something, they might force you to mm -hmm. get help. They might force you to change. And even though a part of my clients wants the help and wants the change, you know, making it real 
vocalizing it, going through the steps is a whole different thing. So let's go into um, getting healthy. Or I don't know if that's the right way to say it. I'm so worried about trigger saying trigger you know words what? that are wrong. Yeah, it's okay. That word healthy is a is a difficult one for many people. Um, I I still use it from time to time, and I also want to say that one one thing I always um, try and teach my clients, though, just for your awareness. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you know we cannot we cannot be triggered by words that people say because you'll just live your whole life being triggered and triggered and triggered. So the word healthy for some people might be a bit of a trigger. And I would encourage those people listening to this to, to really reflect on why mm. and dig deep and, and try and reframe your mind ar- around that. And, um, you know, even as a dietitian, sometimes it's really difficult to navigate these conversations and I'm using air quotes a lot, but it's like, we just, we, we need to say it. We need to get through it and get to the root of this. And, um, sometimes we need to use the word healthy from time to time. Wow. I really appreciate that. That's true for everything, everything, (laughs) (laughs) like not just the word healthy or not just talking about I don't need, I, I didn't want you to order me one. My husband was asking me if he wanted me to order. He's getting lunch out, not yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's like anything in life. I feel like so many people are triggered all the time and so reactive to, to certain things. Okay, when the conversation gets to the place of like getting someone from here we are now, I want I want to get here so that I can compete at the highest level and also feel, feel good. And for a lot of women, get my period back and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not like a small process. So can no. you give us a little bit of a picture of what your process with an athlete that might come to you, um, in a place where they do need to get their period back. They do need to, um, fuel their body mm-hmm. for that peak performance. Yeah. You know, for most of my clients, I I do have a, a quote unquote program and, you know, really what it means is I'm asking for at least 12 weeks of working together. Okay. So I, you know, it's not that there's anything magical about 12 weeks. <laughs> for some people, they get their period back in 12 weeks and for some people, they don't. But the reason I do that is just because exactly what you said, this is a process, you know, oh, I don't believe that a one-time nutrition appointment is going to solve everybody's concerns. And and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a really, really good dietitian and even I can't do that, right? Because like I already mentioned, we need to implement this into people's life. Um, we need to overcome those limiting blocks and limiting beliefs as to why somebody who already might know what they need to do hasn't actually done it. So when I work with somebody for 12 weeks, it is 12 weeks of of action. <laughs> we are doing a lot of doing in these 12 weeks. Um, so I do ask for a little bit of time um, to, to give us that time and that space to overcome these obstacles. Um, education is a huge part of it because even though a lot of athletes that I work with think they know, uh, what we what we know is clouded by diet culture. It's mm-hmm. clouded by you know, comparing ourselves to our other teammates. It's clouded by what coach told us one time. So there is a lot of education involved in my programming just to kind of like clean slate. This is the nutrition knowledge that you need to know. Um, Throughout 12 weeks of working together or longer, we do a lot of challenges. I'm constantly challenging my clients and 
And it's exciting and it's great because my clients love to be challenged and they love to be pushed and they love to win. So we encourage uh, their nutrition wins and I, I do challenge them. If we're struggling with something, yeah, we're going to talk about it, but we're also going to get you into action and, and actively do something for you to overcome this challenge as well. So um, education is a big part of it. Um, challenging with food is a big part of it. Challenging our bodies as well. Now, I am not the coach or the trainer in this situation. A lot of my clients do have coaches or trainers, but what I challenge my clients to do with their bodies um, is a bit different. I really challenge them on rest, on recovery. I challenge them on finding more creative ways to take care of their bodies. Um, we do a silly thing with my clients called self-care Sunday. We're just, we all hold each other accountable to choosing something that is truly giving ourselves self-care every single Sunday. And um, so I really challenge them in their bodies also in body confidence and body image. We are actively working on that. I have a little saying that body confidence is like personal hygiene. It's like taking a shower. It's something that you have to do every single day because if you don't, you're going to start to stink. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing with our body image and our body confidence. We are working on it daily, weekly. It's not just something that we're going to talk about. We are going to do. And um, <clears throat> so really challenging, challenging my clients to get into action throughout our time together. Um, and as I've kind of mentioned here, probably the third part of this is is the mindset piece. We do a lot of mindset work. I do have a mindset coach that is on my team and we refer out to as needed. And it's also just what myself and the other dietitians I work with, you know, we are constantly challenging our thoughts and trying to create new thoughts as it relates to our food, our body and our training. So that's sort of a, a summary, I guess, of all the things that we're doing. And the biggest thing that I want people to understand is that we are we are in action. I've heard so many people talk about nutrition. So many people mm. talk about body image. But how many people are actually doing? Yeah. <laughs> besides just saying like, oh, I, I wish I felt better about my body or besides just recognizing that there are a lot of female athletes who have body insecurities and besides your one conversation a year that you might have with a girlfriend about, you know, things you say, like, what are you actually doing day to day to day to improve your situation? And that's what I do with my clients. We do, yes, a lot of talking, but we are solving you know, it makes me think because this is so prevalent, I know that I'm kind of, I feel like a broken record sometimes. I know that males struggle with body image and, and whatnot. I was actually just listening mm -hmm. to um, Ryan Hall talk about this, but it makes me think, man, if I had a 15 year old daughter who was like starting cross country or something, I would want to get her into this program preventatively. And I don't know if preventative is there even the right word, but just like proactively, that's probably a better yeah. way to say it. Mm -hmm. I do have some clients like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do have some clients that we're just not sure what we need nutritionally. And I would say you need this program. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's going like, to help. Why not just arm yourself with all of those education pieces as well as the body confidence piece? I mean, that's something everybody needs. Um, and I was also thinking about this 
when you're talking about the body confidence, I was like, man, it's crazy how your body confidence shifts throughout the month. Oh, yeah. Like I'm feeling good right now today because of where I'm at in my cycle. That is 100% truth. In two weeks, when I'm like four days from starting my period, I'm going to feel bloated. I'm just not going to feel as confident with how I look in general. And it's cyclical. It happens every single month. So I think educating young girls that like this is a cycle thing is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Lindsay. And I would even challenge you that if if you understand your cycle yeah. and you understand that's coming, then, you know, is that something that we have to feel negatively about ourselves that one week of the month? Yeah. You know, if being bloated is part of who we are as women during that time of the month, is that something that we need to feel bad about? Yeah, I love that. It's so good. I mean, I think the first step is acknowledging it, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is, this happens every month. This is what my body does every single month. Mm -hmm. And then accepting it. Acknowledge, accept. And I don't know. I feel like there is a third level to that. Um, I know I was going to say embrace, but what is it? I don't know. Like rise above. Yeah. Yeah. Embrace and rise above, you know, because I, I, and this is how, this is how women talk, right? Like, oh, I feel bloated, but like, why is that a bad thing? Mm. Like clearly you know, my body is doing something that it does every month something. because it needs to do that. Yeah. That's how I'm yeah. created. Yeah. Yeah. And bloating is a normal thing that happens to everybody, every man and woman, mm. right? Like these are normal human processes and why have we demonized it? It's, I don't know, it's just something to to think think on more. So, so like you said was um, understand – and then, oh, I already forget what you said now. My brain, brain I said, fog. I think I said acknowledge and then accept. Acknowledge, accept, and then really embrace, I yeah. think is the third level there. I imagine it's challenging as an athlete when your body starts changing, right? Like you're a young athlete and you get to be 17, 18, 19, 20, maybe however old you are when this happens, or maybe you're 12. I don't know. Um, for me, I was, I was real like 17 by the time I started my period. So those changes for me, I was like 19, you know? Um, yeah. but these, these young athletes who are competing at a high level, going through those body changes a lot, probably in, in college, really, you get recruited, mm-hmm. you go run D one or whatever, and your body changes and you're going through something. How do you work with, with athletes as they're walking through that? It's definitely challenging. And I think, um, you know, trying to remember what it was like for yourself is important um, to remember what that was like and just, you know, give a little bit of empathy as you're working with these clients. But one of the first things that I teach all of my clients, so I'll share it with your listeners, is that acceptance that your body is meant to change. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the worst things we can do for ourselves is is just try and look like how we used to look. Mm-hmm. And when you're 17, it, it might not, um, like understanding it can be a little bit hard. But what I always say to my, my 17 year olds is like, Hey, when you're in college, do you want to look like you're a freshman in high school? You know, do, and I really challenge them to think about that because y- you actually don't, when you see college athletes performing, 
compared to high school athletes, there is a difference. There is a visual difference and it is a good visual difference of these athletes are stronger. Mm -hmm. These athletes are more durable. These athletes are, you know, powerhouses and that's impressive and they can compete. And if you're stuck in your 14 year old body, you're not going to be able to keep up with the competition in college. So I think that's one thing from a sport perspective is like, it's actually a good thing for your body to change so that you can keep up with the competition. Um, and this is just the, you know, an unavoidable truth of the world. Our bodies are meant to change. You know, when you're 30, you want to look 30. You don't want to look like you're 20 anymore, right? And the same thing when you're 20, you don't want to look like you're 14 anymore. And it it's sometimes hard. It's hard to for our clients to embrace that, you know, day to day, especially if their bodies are changing very fast. But it's just that undeniable acceptance that, you know, bodies always change, always. Every day they're changing. And allowing it to change is the best thing that you can do for yourself, not only for your performance as an athlete, but just your your health as a person. It's when we try and force our 20-year-old body to look like it did when it was 15 or weigh the same weight that it did when it was 15, where now we're not keeping up with the 20-year-olds around us, which is probably our real goal, you know? Yeah, that's so, so true. I mean, I feel like I'm the only 37-year-old that doesn't have Botox these days, honestly. (laughs) I know that's not true. I think a lot of runners actually probably don't do that, but... (laughs) I think so too, actually. I think the running community is kind of um, good with that. Yeah, Gosh. And so in athletics, like when you're going through that body change, you oftentimes do see athletes like slow down a little bit for a short period of time because your body's transitioning. You're like figuring all this out. So how do you work with your clients to say, Hey, this is, this is okay. And it's natural that this is happening and like get them to buy into that belief that like, you're going to get stronger through this. Yeah. Well, the the best the best way to buy into the belief is is to see the proof. Mm-hmm. Um, because because when when you do fuel right, when you do allow your body to change and and you see the performance benefits, then, you know, that that's your buy-in. And so that's amazing and that's why I've I've been harping a lot with you is like I get my clients into action. Yeah. You know, because I want them to feel the benefits. Um we also do recognize and, and try and remember like what got them here in the first place, right? Most of my clients are coming to me because they have a problem of some sort. Mm-hmm. So sure, maybe last year you did run faster while you were at a lower body weight. This is what a lot of my clients come to me saying, well, I was running faster while at a lower body weight. Yes, you were. Great. And what about now? Now you're not running, right? How long did that last? That was short-lived. You had one great season and then you were sidelined. Now your stress fracture. Now, okay, sure. Do you want to go back to that lower body weight and see how long that lasts? And then they're all like, wait, what? No, I don't want to do that. So it's like, you know, I, honestly, Lindsay, I, I, I don't have to do um, too much. We just, we kind of let the proof like speak for itself here. But I guess I'm guiding my clients and figuring that out for themselves. You know, I really do want to empower my clients with a choice. You know, this is, this is their life. They don't need to do anything for me. Mm. They really don't. They, Mm. they need to make these nutrition decisions for themselves. And, you know, they wouldn't be here with me though. Um, if they thought that just going back the other direction was really the right answer because they know how unsustainable it is, or they know the consequences of that, that happened to them. 
So it is, it is challenging to move forward, but what other option do we have in life if we don't want to go backwards and we don't want to stay where we are? We've got to move forward and we've got to trust in something. So when I get them moving forward, when I get them fueling right and trusting that it's okay for their body to change and they can really see and feel the benefits of that, you know, that's, that's just the best thing. Yeah. And I like the theme of this episode that like we're supposed to change. Like that's our bodies are meant to change. Um, I used to say like, Oh, this is my like weight where I feel the most healthy. Um, and I'm not even a person that weighs myself a lot, but I would just, you know, if I stepped on the scale during a time where I felt really fit, I'm like, that's where it was. But you know what? Mm -hmm. Like I've had four kids and I'm 10 years older than that now. And that weight is not the same right now. Like it's, and and it fluctuates anyway, but, um, it's like, you have to reprogram your brain to realize like what it was five years ago might not be what really is actually the most healthy for you right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I see that happen a lot where some people will establish a good relationship with this scale, but, um, like for that time period in their life, Yeah, you know, and then well, guess what? Like five years from now, your, your body's changed again. Your needs have changed. What you are doing with your life has changed. And so that number on the scale might change too. Yeah. And, um, and that's really what a good relationship with the scale looks like is actually just using it as like a, a data point, like not interpreting it with any sort of emotion at all, but really just a, a data point of saying, well, that's the number, you know, that I weighed at this time in my life. And this is the number at this time. And, and it doesn't have to really hold any other meaning besides that. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, Lindsay, well, let's wrap up here with some end of the podcast questions and, um, yeah. I do want to mention, I think, are, are you the, you're the dietitian that Mary Kane suggested, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, think, she's one of my clients. Okay, I thought so, because yeah. we, we talked about you when I interviewed her, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she did. I listened to that episode. She's, I had just started working with her um, last year, and she's been an amazing client. And I think you asked me earlier, Lindsay, you know, do you only work with clients who are overcoming or like, yeah. and no, nah, you know, there's the other side of that too, which is you know, I've have overcome this now what? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so any, any, any female athlete who has nutrition concerns and yeah, Mary's been one of my wonderful clients this past year. That's awesome. Okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Um, okay. Well, there's a lot of things, but the first thing that came to mind is just really fluently learn how to speak Spanish. My last name Yeah, my last name is now Cortez, as you said. I have married into um, a – my husband is 50% Puerto Rican, and I love that language, and I just really haven't um, mastered it, nowhere near mastering it. And and I would love to speak it. I would love to be able to work with Spanish-speaking clients. Um, So I I definitely need to start working on that. It's been on my, like, to-do list for a while now, actually. Is he fluent? He could be if he challenged himself to. He <laughs> listens to it. He his mom speaks to him in Spanish, then he speaks English back. <laughs> my um, my brother in law is Puerto Rican, and um, I am always telling my sister, I'm like, I why didn't you raise your kids bilingual? You know, because he speak I mean, he speaks fluently. Yeah. I'm like, just anytime he talks to him, just talk in Spanish. But now yeah. her kids are ten 
seven and five. And I'm like, I mean, they could still do it, but you know, I know they always say like start when they're babies, right? Young. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm like, I also want our children. You know, there's so many, and I actually live in San Antonio, Texas right now. This is a Spanish community. I'm like, I I need to learn Spanish. I want to teach my children Spanish. I I have the last name Cortez, so I better start. What what will your strategy be? Can you just get on the phone with your mother-in-law every day and be like, let's talk? Yeah, I, I need to just start talking it because I've tried the uh, Rosetta Stone app and I it's helped a little bit, but I, I think it really is conversations. I just need to have conversations. Yeah, that's what they say, like yeah. go be live in the culture for like an yeah. extended period of time and that's the best way. Yeah. Um, that's cool. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Obviously, I, I spoke of it a lot on this podcast, but I really just right now just building this business. I'm so proud of it because I, I had no clue when I started, um, what it was going to be. And quite frankly, when I started, it was kind of a me thing. It was a, like, what do I want to do? And it was, you know, what's my next job going to be? And so quickly it changed. And I'm like, this business is nothing to do with me. Mm. This is everything to do with these girls and women that I can help and how I can get you know this message to more people and change their lives and it's just like you know it's I'm the thing I'm most proud of is is committing to my clients and and this journey because it definitely hasn't been easy mm. as I'm sure you can relate to like starting your own thing isn't easy but that's just the thing about it is it's not my thing you know this mm. is this is for the girls that I serve and this is for them. So I'm just really proud of creating this space that has already influenced um, so many people. And I I just hope for it to continue to grow for them. At what point do you like hire dietitians on staff? Or have you now. already done that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have two other dietitians on staff with me now. We just, well, I've had one for a few months and the second one I just hired this past month. And um, so things are kind of shifting to, again, where it's, it's you know, creating a team to serve the so many needs of, of these girls that we work with. So it's a really exciting time. Yeah, I was thinking that because I'm like, you're living your dream, you know, um, working for yourself. And like you said, it's not about you. It's about serving these women and girls. Um, yeah. But it's like at some point, there's a cap on how much, t- how many hours you have in a day. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm there. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but it's like, just because my hours of my day are, are capped out doesn't mean that there's that, that I can't help more people. Right. Yeah, so right. it's how can I, I've hired more dietitians. I'm hiring more team members because they can help more people and there's more, there's a lot more people to help. Yeah. And like, I, obviously you're hiring people who are subscribing to like your philosophy of yes. how to do this and, um, yeah. What do you cap yourself at though? It's, it's so hard as an entrepreneur because, um, you could work yourself to the ground. I mean, you could do that working for someone else too. Um, but part of the beauty of working for yourself is giving yourself boundaries and like saying some weeks I'm, I'm not going to work as much because I can, I can do that and I need the time. Um, but Yeah. yeah, what kind of boundaries do you set for yourself? You know, they change. I actually, uh, I do have a business coach and about once every three months we reevaluate these things because it does, it does have to change often. Yeah. You know, one little boundary is like I I mentioned with my clients who do a self-care Sunday, 
it's my self-care day and all my clients know I'm not responding on Sundays. Good. Like this is, this is my day. So that's one of those little boundaries. You know, I do not compromise, uh, dinner and quality time with my husband. Um, and then, um, making sure that I do prioritize my, my running, I'm a runner. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that looks different, but you know, I have a running coach. I'm like, that's something I'm going to invest in so that she can, you know, monitor my progress and keep me motivated. And, um, yeah, I do have to set boundaries and they, they kind of fluctuate a little bit, but I, I'd make sure that I'm investing in my own self-care and, and me time and quality time with my husband too. Yeah. I can see that fluctuating too. There are some weeks where I'm just not as busy as other weeks and that's okay. Yeah. And some weeks where I'm like, I can't do this for two more weeks in a row, you know? Um, yeah. who's your running coach? Uh, Athena Ferris. She's okay. local to San Antonio and definitely want to give her a shout out because she's an inspiring woman. She's does uh, very long distance herself. Uh, I think she just completed like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to get it right, but she does like, you know, hundred milers and 50 milers and things like that. She's a very, very impressive woman. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, what is the best, most recent book you've read? I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I have to admit, I have had no time to read books. But Busy growing a business. Yes, but I, I actually pulled this out um, because this is a book. It's called, it's so random. It's called Wherever You Go, There You Are. It is by John Kabat-Zinn. I actually picked this up in college. It was my first introduction to mindfulness. And this is a book that I am constantly carrying with me downstairs, upstairs, if I ever go on a trip, because I will just open up a page and it's a whole, it's like a, it's just a book about mindfulness. So I will open up a page, read a paragraph and I'm in this like Zen <laughs> mindset and I'm like, my eyes are opened. And so this is a book that even if I'm not reading cover to cover, I pick it up, I read an excerpt here and there and, um, Mindfulness and meditation is something that I've been exploring in my personal life for the past, honestly, like 15 years. <laughs> so, and this was one of my first introductions to it. And I really, um, also just the, the title helps me alone. Wherever you go, there you are. I love that. Tap into mindfulness right away. Just when I read that title. So that, that book goes with me many places, actually. That's good. How did you and your husband meet? He's in the military. Okay. So I did meet him in my last job. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Did, Which were, posed its own uh, challenges, of course. We were we knew of each other for many, many years uh, before we began a relationship. So were yeah. you his dietitian? Yes. Oh, I love it. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah. We, we joke now about like, remember when I like – Gave you a meal plan. Remember when, <laughs> you know, because we were so just very professional for like three and a half years uh -huh. before that door was opened. We joke about that all the time of like how and how how quickly we almost did not um, mm -hmm. be together. Actually, the reason we are together was a stroke of luck, I guess. He was supposed to deploy and then last minute, like 10 days before leaving, he did not. And it was because he stayed behind during a time when the rest of the unit was gone that we started talking a bit more. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, and so that's why you're in San Antonio then for his job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a big military city. Is he? So he's Air Force? He is. Okay, cool. 
who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Um, well, okay. A lot of people are going through my mind right now and it just like, but I, I really am somebody who like, I, I really appreciate intimate, um, like connections with people. And so I've never been one to over glorify like really famous people. Uh So the, you know, the people going through my mind right now are like any one of my clients, a lot of them, I, I just work with virtually. I'm like, I just want to sit down and have coffee with you. Yeah. Uh, You know, my, my clients are so wonderful and I love when I do get to meet them actually in the past couple weeks, I did get to meet, I do have some local clients. I randomly, one of my clients visited San Antonio. So it's so much fun when I get to take them out for lunch and like all the stuff we've been talking about and then we can just be together and like enjoy a meal together. That's like the best feeling. It's so wild. The opportunity now, like I'm thinking back to when I was talking about my sister having an eating disorder, like our options, their options were like, who are the dietitians in town? Yeah. And it's so crazy and good that there's just so many more options online now. I mean, what if you live in a really small town and there aren't a lot of local options? Yeah. And, and in this space too, because I I think, you know, dietitians who do work with local clients is an amazing thing. And I, I have some local clients. I wish I had more, but it's like, you know, if we're talking the space of female athletes with disordered eating, like the chances you're going to get a dietitian in your local area that really understands this is pretty rare. So I do, you know, that I, I think that's the beauty of something that I do virtually as well. Yeah. I mean, it's wild to think that, um, just, I don't know, 20 years ago, when did the internet come about? (laughs) 91? I don't know. Anyway, um, it's just wild to think the, um, the amount of knowledge and the resources we have now compared to what we had then. And a simple Google sports dietitian virtual can, could lead people to you. Um, instead of, like you said, maybe a dietitian in their small town that doesn't have any experience working with athletes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Lindsay, what is your last message? What is your one message to send to the audience today? I have something goofy. <laughs> oh, I, good, good. That's fun. I was thinking about my one message and, and um, a quote came to mind. And I want to share the story It's because it's, I don't know why it stuck with me. I was on a vacation with my sister many, many years ago when we were teenagers and we saw this like postcard in a gift shop of like two old ladies and the quote on there, they were like eating cookies. And the quote on there was life's too short, eat dessert first. And I think that's the message that I want to share today is, you know, as I love nutrition, I love how powerful it can be in helping us achieve optimal performance. Um, and also, you know, a little bit stemming from my experience with the air force too. I mean, life is too short. And food is delicious and food is fun and food can help you achieve peak performance and food can help you be healthy and this and that, but also life's too short. So eat dessert first. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey friends. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Lindsay, for coming on the show today. It was so good to get to know you and learn a little bit more about your business and all that you're doing with Rise Up Nutrition. If you want to learn more about Lindsay, go to riseupnutritionrun.com. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast 
with Lindsay Hine. Check out our Sandy Boy Productions podcast Instagram as well to learn about all the new shows in our network. And don't forget to leave a quick rating and review if you enjoyed this podcast. I say it every week, but I genuinely mean it and check it every single day over there on iTunes or whatever app you're listening on. All right. Have a really great Friday, a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, we will see you next Friday.